Welcome to the Microdosing for Healing podcast. I'm your host, Casey Garrett, and together we'll be discovering and learning from inspiring voices of healers, medicine keepers, and visionaries. Every episode, we'll explore the world of health, vibrant wellness, and natural medicine for a new era of human society. Welcome to today's episode. All right. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm really, really excited to to share this gentleman with you today. Mr. Riley Cote is here with us. And on a personal note, I am particularly excited to welcome him because I grew up in Pennsylvania and this is going to be the episode that all of my childhood friends, teammates, and coaches finally tune into this podcast for. <laughs> so thank you, Riley, for, for being with us. Riley sure. is a former NHL hockey player. He played with the Philadelphia Flyers and has such a powerful, inspiring, and transformative story. So I know all of you are going to love hearing it and be really inspired by his share. So thank you so much for being with us today, Riley. No, thanks for having me. Grateful. Perfect. So I'd love to start off today with Riley, if you open to sharing your personal story a bit and, and how you got to this place. Yeah, geez. Uh, where do I begin? So I grew up in the middle of Canada playing hockey like most Canadian children do. Fortunate enough to play professional hockey. I moved away from home when I was 16 years old, played in the Western Hockey League, was never drafted. And then uh, uh, 20 years old, I turned pro and I decided to take on a role within the hockey game, which was landed up being uh, the, the enforcer role. I became a hockey fighter. If you can believe that that's actually a thing. Well, you're from Pennsylvania, so you probably might know what that is. <laughs> so I landed up uh, being a professional hockey fighter for eight years and, and, and figured out a way to make it to the NHL and live out my childhood dream or a version of my childhood dream because it certainly wasn't uh, fighting guys way to my weight class growing up. It was scoring goals like Wayne Gretzky and, but how, how the dream kind of shapes itself, um, you know, as you maneuver throughout life. But as you can imagine, fighting is taxing, physically taxing, mentally taxing, emotionally, spiritually taxing. And early on in my fighting career, it was such a challenge for me. It was such an opportunity. It was like I was young. I was, you know, excited. I felt like this was my vehicle. This was, this was, was necessary, which it was if I wanted to play in the NHL. So there was an eagerness, there was an excitement to it. And as I, you know, fought my way out of the jungle, if you will, you know, the minor leagues, the minor, minor leagues, to the minor leagues, to, you know, the next level of minor leagues, and then eventually found my way, it was, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was quite the ride. And eventually I found myself in the NHL doing the exact same job I had done in the minor leagues, you know, for pennies. And, you know, grinding the physical body, fighting daily, every other day, it seemed like 30, 35 times a year, a season. And, you know, after my first year, it was, I had, you know, my first year in the NHL was my best year, you know, as, as, as a performer, as, as a hockey player, as a fighter. And then it, 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 I felt like it turned after that. Like I, I played, I ended up playing parts of, you know, three more years, but, but it just wasn't the same mentally. I felt myself... I found myself just constantly having to find more creative ways to jack myself up even more to fight. You know, it was the, the fighting and that role had consumed me where it, I almost, you know, you kind of become that character in a sense. But you also, you know, in that specific 
example, I didn't love to do it. You know, you know, jacking yourself up to fight a guy way at your weight class isn't exactly what I would consider fun, even though you're living the dream, right? You're, you're living in this bubble and you're playing hockey for a living and getting paid is, you know, more money than you ever been, been made, but just for something that wasn't there. So between the, the physical component, the mental component, after that first year, it just felt like it was a grind. The physical was easy. It was the mental. It was the preparation of the fight. It was like this, this chronic state of anxiety that you find yourself in is traditionally it's fight or flight you pick one right i'm either going to go out there and, and, do, and fight right out of the gate or i'm, I'm just i'm not going to fight but hockey is not a ufc fight it's not a boxing match where the bell rings and and you fight you don't know exactly when you're going to fight you, you may prepare to fight and never fight so there's this chronic this state of anxiety that you're and even if you fight you know the first period you could potentially fight again so you're you're never able to let your guard down and just wears on the nervous system it just just find yourself emotionally exhausted to being in that state and in, in, in that state of um, say chronic anxiety it's really the only words i have for it it's just you just you just feel stressed the hell out so the long and short of it is eventually like all these things kind of you know accumulated stressors physical stressors mental stressors performance stressors emotionally you know imbalanced the spiritually unaligned and then you know in 2010 my performance started deteriorating. You know, I was I was drinking a lot. I was doing other drugs. I was uh, not rested. I just was burying the pain, which I didn't really understand at the time how much I was actually bearing. What I was actually bearing. You think of pain; it's always physical pain, right? Everyone's like, "Oh, you're a fighter. Your hands must be sore. Your face must be sore." But it was more emotional pain of like, I really wanted to just crawl into a hole. I really didn't want to be fighting in front of twenty thousand people. I really didn't love what I was doing, even though I was in the NHL and, you know, from the outside looking in, it seemed like you got your shit together, but I didn't. So I had another year in my contract. End of 2010, we lost the Chicago Blackhawks in the final and another year in my contract. And uh, I, I told the general manager, you know, I kind of just opened my heart up a little bit, you know, where I was at. He kind of known where I was at. I didn't play much that last year. And then, you know, you know, it's funny how you put it out there and you speak to the universe and you're kind of vulnerable and you're opened up like how the universe responds. And I was back home in Winnipeg where I'm from in Canada. And like two weeks after the season, I get a phone call from the general manager saying, you know, would you be interested in coaching, you know, the Flyers minor league team? And I was like, instantly in my heart, I was like, this is it. Like, this is like, this is exit stage left. This is like, get on the other side of the fence and save yourself kind of deal. So I said, let me sleep on it, uh, which I did. I knew in my heart what the decision was. I called the next morning. I said, yeah, I'm going to do this. But it wasn't so much, it wasn't about, oh yeah, I can't wait to get into coaching at 28 years old. It was like, this is an opportunity to like take a breath and find yourself and figure out what the hell and, and heal yourself really. So that's how I like propelled onto this path, which, you know, I had a relationship with cannabis. I had a relationship with psilocybin and mushrooms, but very misunderstood, you know, very recreational, if you will. Uh, even though I could sense there was some therapeutic value, I could never communicate that to the public. I could never you know, I sit here and talk to you about exactly what was happening because I didn't really know. I didn't have any science to really support the way I was feeling. So that was the beginning of the journey where I started to make sense of how cannabis made me feel as far as pain management. My last two surgeries at the end of that year, actually, I just used cannabis. I didn't touch the pharmaceutical drugs, just used cannabis. And then that, you know, helped me realize, oh, wow, this is obviously an amazing pain management tool. I don't need the pills, which were obviously really destructive uh, mixing those with alcohol just on your spirit and everything 
And then I kind of applied the same logic with the cannabis. It's like, oh, well, of course, it's pain management. That's why people have been using pain, <laughs> you know, cannabis forever, managing pain, emotional pain, anxiety, sleep, the whole bit. And then I applied that to psilocybin. I, you know, read some so, some some literature around psilocybin in the brain, and I, I've kind of done the same thing with the cannabis, the CBD, the neuroprotectant, the neurogenesis properties of some of these compounds. And I was like, geez, I'm like. I've been punched in the face for a living, been over 200 hockey fights, you know, obviously got some repeated head trauma, concussion related issues I was dealing with. So I was like, let's, let's, let's immerse ourselves in this and sit with it by myself, not going to a concert or a festival and distracting the mind and making it more of a recreational experience. It was sitting with this and, and trying to heal the brain. So I, I really got into it around healing the physical, right? It was healing the body. It was healing the mind, the brain. And little did I know how spiritual, psilocybin specifically, but it's all, I mean, it's all divine. Um, it's all sacred, but how, how spirit, I grew up in a, in a religious household and I always considered myself some bit spiritual, but how, how it helped propel me onto the spiritual path. And it was like a catalyst to get to the meditation cushion and to the yoga mat and how much it was like, how much more it was than what I thought it was. You know, I was you know, approaching it through the cult of the body. But it's so much more than that, obviously, right? As I was, you know, healing the brain, I was realizing I was shedding, you know, my old skin of who I thought I was. It was like this this metamorphous transition, if you will, like losing the old Riley and kind of coming into this understanding of recreating myself as a spirit versus, you know, a physical body, which I, you know, I think I'd master that at, you know, lifting weights and being this you know, this mindless beast on the ice to, you know, realizing that I was, that was a little bit self-serving and I need to be more of service and, you know, kind of put all these things in perspective. So a little long-winded, but it was all that, you know, let's say the, the, the trauma, the, the repeated head trauma, this, the, the, the way of life, the squeeze, the stress, the pressures, it kind of just like spat me out and forced me to either, you know, continue to go down this path or to, find a solution and, and, and get better and save yourself. And that's what I did. I stopped drinking for a year to prove to myself I didn't need alcohol. I eventually reintroduced a little bit of some wine, but it's been three and a half years that I, I haven't drank alcohol again. But just like cleaning the body out and realizing how much poison I was pouring into my body, the thinking, the poison, like literally drinking, you know, poison, and eating shitty, you know, all these things. So you have to clean up the vessel and, and show it some love. And it just obviously continues to keep growing and the layers of unwinding these programs continued, you know, and, and then the cannabis and the psilocybin and these medicines and these tools have just, they just keep evolving on how I work with them. The relationship with them continues to evolve. Um, and I, there's more understanding in them and understanding specifically you know, um, psilocybin or psychedelic and how it pertains to, you know, mindfulness in the world I'm in and like the mind and, you know, the present moment and emotion, you know, we grew up in a culture where talking about our feelings is not a thing we do, right? It's bottle it up, suppress it, tough it out, you know, go nuts, you know, and obviously that's not, that's, that's not healthy. It's, uh, it's extremely unhealthy to bottle up emotion. So this whole world of expression, physical expression through yoga mindful movement obviously I've, I've been stiff and you know dancing and you know music playing the drum rhythmic you know mindfulness and drumming so all these things that i would have never thought i would be into growing up i was like no i'm you know i'm a hockey player i'm a tough you know i'm a tough hockey player and it's just like 
just gets delusion, you know? So it's kind of like helped me, you know, peel back the onion and unprogram some of these, you know, these, these conditions, things that I've, you know, was unaware of. And, you know, I'm going to continue to do so. We all got work to do and I'm constantly, you know, working on uh, deprogramming, reprogramming. And there's, there's, there's no new reminders all the time. And uh, it's been beautiful. You know, it's just like, you couldn't script something like this, you know, growing up, you think of like playing in the NHL is this glorious thing, you know, and it probably is for a lot of people that can score, you know, goals and, and keep the body and the mind a little, a little more sane, but you know, it all, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm so grateful for all the hardships and, and the drive and the resilience and, and the lessons in it all. And now I can just apply, you know, what I've learned in, in the sports world and hockey to real life and, and this world of healing and helping people being of service and, you know, being the change. So I apologize for the long-winded answer there. No, not at all. Not at all. I appreciate it so much. Speaking of, so ESPN did a beautiful documentary of, of your work. And so my next question is around how are other professional athletes and colleagues of yours receiving this transformation for you when you're introducing it to other people? How is that usually being received? I would say very, very positively. I mean, from from the start, honestly, when I retired back in 2010, I was beginning to bang the drum around hemp and cannabis, you know, really kind of the, the industrial applications of the cannabis plant. So like, you know, supporting cannabis, you know, these shirts, hemp and, you know, showing the different the different faces of cannabis. So I was, you know, doing some advocacy work early. And, you know, I would say back then, People thought I was a little crazy, like, oh, you know, like all of a sudden you're retired, you know, you're retired now, you're like, you're, you're like talking about <laughs> cannabis, like it's the, you know, this, this gift from God, which, uh, you know, obviously it is, and it just needs to be uh, understood a little more and respected a little bit more. But nonetheless, so I think early on, I was, you know, I got hemp seeds and hemp protein into the locker room, which was quickly uh, removed because it was, you know, a non NSF certified product and all this, you know, this pol- political fluff that I was throwing it was thrown at me but nonetheless I just stuck with it and then as as time progressed and things started to change you know through legislation you know the farm bills and you know the CBD you know some of these things moving along people started to realize that I was actually being truthful you know with, with my position and what I was doing and you know the, the, the cannabis become more normalized and I got an opportunity to get in front of the Flyers alumni um, and speak about you know the, the Pennsylvania, New Jersey cannabis programs and, you know, the difference between, you know, medical cannabis and hemp derived CBD products that are sold in health food stores and, and so on. So naturally it, it landed up working out in my favor where they were realizing that what I was saying wasn't that far off. And, you know, now this, the science, which was kind of always, always there that was brought to the surface and, you know, the, the laws were kind of catching up to the, to the stance. And um, so since then, like the, the almost the philistine and the psychedelic piece almost seemed to be easier of a sell because I've already been doing a lot of this advocacy work and, and putting my neck out there for, you know, speaking for the trees and, and all that good stuff. So when this kind of, you know, I started really started speaking around psilocybin about five, six years ago, it was almost like an easy introduction. We're like, oh, shit, well, like you got cannabis, right? And I can see that you've changed. You've lost, you know, 30, 35 pounds. You're living it. You're not just talking about it, um, that it seemed like a natural progression. But it's always one of those things like they people could seem like they understand what you're talking about. And I always believe like, you know, like people need to see it to really maybe understand it. You have an idea of what it is. So 
I thought the, the ESPN piece that, as you mentioned, um, did a good job of kind of showing the best possible visual for what potentially healing could look like with, you know, in a, in a group setting with psilocybin, however that looks. So since then it's even, it's been even more positive where like, they're like, Oh shit. Like I, I see what you're doing now. I, I kind of understand what you're doing now and, or at least some version of what you're doing. So it's been nothing but positive. Like every, like every time I go to the rank and, and see alumni guys, they're asking, you know, they're asking like about the mushrooms they are asking, <laughs> they're asking about this and that, and they're curious. And these are old school guys, like, you know, stuck in like, you know, the old school propaganda, you know, a lot of these guys are, you know, gone through the AA program, substance abuse. So traditionally cannabis and, and mushrooms wouldn't be part of the, the AA program. It's, it's abstinence, pure abstinence. So it's kind of, you know, at least in my world, in my network seems to be helping reform the, the old, the, the conversation around addictions and, and recovery. Because a lot of these guys really deal with the alcoholism and uh, struggle with alcohol. So it's been really well received and it continues to be. I have people reaching out to me, I mean, all the time, like, every day, um, whether it's on social media or someone's, you know, shooting an email or text message about like, I, I see what you're doing and, you know, I want to learn more or, you know, just, it's just, it's just, it's just the time is, is so, so now, you know, and, and it's so necessary. It's always been, but I mean, you realize the more you're in this work, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking to people all the time, how much people are suffering. The level of physical pain, the level of emotional pain that people are going through, like the system has failed them. It's failed us, right? I mean, it's the the the, the current protocols, the current medications are uh, a cocktail for darkness. And um, you know, I see it more and more every, the more I work, I do. So it's been very well received. I'm gonna continue to use the sports platform, as we know, like you know. People love their sports, you know. I'm a nobody, you know, in a sports, and you know, and it's like I'm looking at like Aaron Rodgers. Some of these bigger names came out and started talking about this Tom Brady, Wayne Gretzky. I mean, we can move the needle, you know. I would think quite significantly, but um, some people are just not ready to speak about it, and it's fair enough. I, I respect that, but the more people that do, the the bigger the ripple. And I've seen it a lot in cannabis. I see more and more guys speaking in the sports world around psilocybin or ayahuasca or bufo, whatever it lands up being. And it's just the more media, the more, you know, the, the, the more information, the more media covers this, uh, the more seeds are planted and people can at least hear it more, hear it more. Mainstream media is covering, oh, ESPN owned by Disney is covering this. So, you know, like people that never have heard of this, at least maybe like their, their ears perk up. So there's nothing more than just keep planting seeds, right? You're not going to change people overnight. You know, there's a deep-seated program within society, and it's going to take some time to fully unravel it, but we may never fully unravel it. I don't think it was designed to be fully unraveled, but there's more and more people waking up. And I think the, the sports platform just has a lot of essence and juice to, to, to reach people that aren't traditionally, you know, hearing this type of information, you know? so <laughs> 100%, 100%. I would love to get your take on, you know, one of the things I've most appreciated when I was listening to your podcast and previous presentations, how much you align spirituality with the practice as being a fundamental part of the practice and not necessarily divorcing the two. And we live in, the, in such a secular moment. So can you speak a little bit to people who are questioning like, well, can I just, can I just work with medicines as a drug or versus a spiritual path where you're incorporating other modalities, meditation, yoga, as you have. Yeah. 
Well, I think this is super important because I see a lot of people being advocates and they're kind of, uh, you know, skirt tailing the obvious, right? I mean, the skirt tailing the essence of what the medicine is, right? And this is spiritual medicine, this is spiritual work. So I, I think the challenge for a lot of people is the medical system has separated the emotional and spiritual bodies from healing, right? It's just like, it's just when we're healing in the, in the traditional Western paradigm, it's like, it's just symptoms. It's, 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 it's really just approaching the physical body as a meat suit, as a symptom, as a, you know, as a compound. But when, when we look at the, the crisis that we're in, you know, people call it a mental health crisis. I mean, to me, it's a spiritual crisis. Like we are disconnected, right? Disconnected from source you know this intelligent conscious energy that permeates everything people misunderstand god and you know and misunderstand what the teachings are and i think that the psychedelics some people call them teachers some people call them reminders i mean i'd like to think that we already know this this information we've been, we've done this before right so these medicines are reminding us of our spiritual nature and helping us reconnect to these and the system, this energy system, you know, or food, you know, beginning with food or beginning with breath, however you want to look at it, you know, these fundamental things that we have forgotten, forgotten to do, forgotten to eat, you know, nutritious, nutrient-rich foods that would, would would nourish our physical body, our vessel, our temple, you know, and our mind, our thinking, right, and our energy, and you know, we just abandon this idea of, of you know of staying close to nature, taking care of our bodies. Right. So when people want to get well, I mean, we live in this crazy world where people just want a pill and they want to take this pill and they want to wake up and, and feel better and they want everything to go away and, and everything to be fine. And well, as you know, I, this is, that's not the way it works. Right. I mean, this is we, we live in a very uh, intricate, you know, some bit complicated, but also some bit simplistic way of life, this world we're living in. And, um, I think the system is responsible for distracting our minds and reprogramming. Colonialism has obviously been a big part of it, but we, you know, we've kind of separated from spirit. You know, I think the system, the darkness is always, you know, spiritually booby trapped mankind, separating man from God. Every spiritual religious text talks about it. Right. So these medicines are reminding us, wow, we're, we, we got, we got this, this, this energy system that we're all a part of. We, you know, it's helping us find ourselves. Um, therefore helps us find God in, in some way, shape, or form. But this connection to our body, our connection to our thoughts, to our emotions, again, picking back off what I was saying earlier about suppressing of emotions. Like we have to own our emotions, you know, we think and then we feel and then we act, and it's all connected. So for people that are coming in this that have no spiritual practice, it seems like, oh well, you know, spirituality is not for me. I'm not spiritual. Well, we're all spiritual, right? I mean, we are spiritual beings, whether we know it or not is is a different story. And, and we need to address it in some way, shape, or form. We could take the religion out of it. You know, we can take all these, these woo-woo words around it. But the reality is, is that we are a part of something much greater than ourselves. And we have to, we have to say, follow to some degree these natural laws that exist. It's not man-made laws. These are laws that exist throughout nature. And it's, they're, they're karmic laws, right? I mean, you are what you eat, right? I mean, it's, oh, it's, We've heard that one a thousand times. Well, it's like, well, that would be a spiritual teaching. You know, we are what we think. Um, so I'm just hell-bent set on I'm talking about this. because I think that, especially in the medical context, people don't want to be talking. They feel like they can't or they're not even 
equipped to talk about it because it's so medical. You, you see this even in cannabis where it's gone like, you know, so medical, so recreational. It's like, well, cannabis is, is a very important spiritual medicine if used properly, appropriately, intentionally. Um, could be an amazing, you know, spiritual tool. I mean, it, it, a lot of people would consider cannabis is as psychedelic, you know, if we're using it for more journey work. But nonetheless, it's just like our relationship with nature has been severed, and relationship to self has been severed. So we don't even understand that 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 these medicines are kind of waking up this the, the kundalini or whatever you want to call it, this energy within, the fire within. Um, and then bringing it back to the present moment and bringing it back to our, our thinking that we actually do have control in this world, that we're not the victim. So, so there's this level of empowerment because we can we can alchemize any second, any part of the day, all day long if we're if we're that disciplined and work with nature instead of working against it. And uh, you know, that's why we get sick. We just abandon this idea that we're part of the system and, and the community. And this is like the way you surround yourself with people and, and the environments that you create for yourself. So we're nothing more than a, 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 a we're, we're basically an accumulation of our environments and the people that we uh, hang out with and, and the food and the substances that we, we consume. So this is all spiritual, whether we believe it or not. And then this whole world of expression, right? I mean, like cultures since the start of time have danced, have, have sang, have, dr- have drummed, um, and have communed together. There's an element of community and connection. But those are those those things that I mentioned are forms of ex- physical expression, you know, emotional, spiritual expression, but also like concentration, focus, presence in the moment. Like you, you, there's nowhere else to be when you're drumming or dancing or singing, right? I mean, you're you're in the moment, you're enjoying life, and that is, I think that you know, one of the essence of a lot of these teachings is that's where the the joy and happiness lies is in the moment, not in the past where we're resenting, you know, someone that did us wrong and, you know, emotionalizing uh, past experiences, putting us in a state of depression or too far ahead where we're worrying about stuff we can't control, putting us in a state of anxiety and worry. So I say all this because it's, you know, it's, it seems to me like, you know, I teach meditation and yoga and it's like, it seems to me like the teachings of the yoga sutras and the Buddhism and Hinduism and, you know, the essence of the core teachings of these these spiritual teachings is is, is is almost what the is almost exactly the same thing as what the psychedelic experiences is showing us or reminding us of it, depending on the person's spiritual progress it obviously can only show you what you're ready for you know the, the everyday consciousness only, it leaves out more than it lets in so it only lets you in what you're ready for but that this is you know once you study this and, and look at it and live it it's like you know, it's, it's almost the same thing. You'd have a stage or a, uh, you know, a yogi saying, well, you don't, you don't need psychedelics to find the meditative path or the, you know, the spiritual path. Um, and I agree with that. You don't need psychedelics to get on the meditation cushion and, and yoga, uh, yoga mat and have a spiritual practice. But, you know, in the Western world, in this colonialized world, I mean, I don't know. I don't see any other catalyst that can do what psychedelics can, can do so quickly Again, not doing the work for you, but getting you to wake up out of your slumber to actually <laughs> realize that you need to begin a spiritual practice. So it helps you can kind of get on the yoga mat, be able to meditate, be able to do these some of these things. Bring awareness. This, I think that's a starting point. Bring awareness to some of our bad habits, our behaviors, and, and slowly but surely reforming and changing them. So 
Yeah, it's, uh, I love talking about it because to me, this is the essence of it all. I mean, this is you know what I teach without psychedelics. And obviously, when you talk about integration, this is another thing I, I kind of struggle with when you talk about integration, too. It's like like my version of integration is is applying all these practices, right? I mean, you can't be healthy if you don't move, right? I mean, move mindfully. You know, we, we can't be healthy if we don't, you know, calm the nervous system and have actual practical ways to do these things. So like, to, you know, we talk about integration, a lot of times we're just talking about like integrating the experience, like making sense of what happened or what came up and, and applying it. But to me, it's the integration process. If you want to sustain this and, and find, you know, more happiness and joy on the back end of it is you, you, you we have to really when say integration. It has to be more of a, a spiritual practice that's integrated to support this. Otherwise, we're just going to go back to our you know, our mundane thinking, our, our, our mundane, you know, lazy behaviors and, you know, and it kind of comes well back into you know, the way we were before. So the more we can do, I think just lands up uh, um, extending the outcomes and gives you a strong foundation to move forward, to forge ahead with, with some confidence and creativity, right? It's, it's, it's hard to move forward out of our little, you know, world when everything just seems tight and jammed and there's no space and, you know, the experience, psychedelic experience can bring some awareness around it. Wow, how expanded this world is and how much freedom there is. And then but now we come back into the real world and say, how do we create that, you know, in the moment and then apply that throughout the day and then the week and then the month and the year. And that becomes our, our way of life. So super important. I mean, if we're, if we're talking about like legitimate long, long term success rates, you know, when you talk about doing this work, because there's a lot of people, you know, one and done, you know, blast off, come back, mm, you know, uh, you know meditation is not for me, or this is not for me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard to really break through if we're just going to keep doing the same things we've done our whole life and, and expect that our whole world is going to change. So I think the spiritual component needs to be talked about more. I'm glad you brought it up. So I love talking about it. I know. I appreciate it so much. In one of your talks I was listening to, I heard you say, our nature is to create and the medicines help us get to a place of action. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning more and more about this too. You know, I I grew up playing hockey, which is a creative sport, but I never looked at it like that growing up. It was just like something I love to do because now looking back and understanding maybe some of the neuroscience around it, it was well, I was going into flow state. You know, when you're playing hockey, you're playing a creative sport. You're you're not thinking about anything else. So it's an escape. You know, a lot of these kids, you hear them talk. It's like, wow, that's why they're doing this is because it's getting them out of their thinking mind. You know, maybe mom and dad are hard on them and they're, you know, or, te- you know, whatever. Life is is a struggle, right? So this is 60 minutes of we're playing hockey now. We're, we're getting this creative flow. So as I, you know, begin this work and realizing you know, what creativity is and looking at ourselves as creators, co-creators with the divine, right? I mean, we, we are, I mean, that is what we've lost is the, the creative nature of being. And I think system itself, I always go back to that. It's like, it's done a good job of, you know, making people small and, 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 you know, after a certain age, like we're no longer creating anymore because we're not, we're, we're not going to teach kids to be creators. We're going to teach them to be, you know, corporate monkey workers of some sort, you know, working in the, in, in, in the machine. So I think part of the, you know, the system itself is, is taken away or minimized our creative faculties. But to me, it's what, as more and more I'm learning is like, if we're not creating, it's like, we're doing ourselves a disservice, like in some way, shape or form, it doesn't have to be, 
you know, building large buildings or doesn't have to be necessarily, you know, when you think of creating, it's like, oh, just like creating art or yeah, of course. I mean, some version, but like that could be different for you than for me. And what that looks like, it's a, it's a, it's an emotional expression of something. So whatever that is for you, whatever you like doing is like, you know, it's drawing, coloring, making music, dancing, building, you know, whatever that is. It's like, I mean, it's like the more we do that, the more we feel like we're in alignment. I think, I think that's the struggle a lot of people feel right now. The squeeze is there's a lack of alignment. You know, we're, we're working a, a job we don't love. You know, we're around people that we might not necessarily be around if we didn't put ourselves in that situation. Um, this is a lot of stuff that's not in alignment. But then once, you know, art, you know, ask artists, you know, they're, they're in their happiest and their joyful space when they're creating. And that could only happen in the present moment, right? So, um, and it's uh, all the spiritual texts is always talking about back to the, the present moment, right? I mean, all the, the, the gurus, everyone's talking about that, but how do we get there? And this is why I got into rhythmic drumming, honestly. It's a, it's a, obviously a form of, uh, of creativity and, and expression, but it's like, I found that it's hard to teach people to sit. You know, simple, the simplicity of just sitting. It's like, ask someone to sit for five minutes. Their body's still riddled with tension, tightness, that they can't sit. This is what the physical practice of yoga is for, is to prime the body to sit in meditation. But I realized like, that teaching that is not that easy, you know, to, 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 to young kids, but even adults, because they have a years and years and years of tension built up and a suppressed emotion that I got into rhythmic drumming because I thought it was an easier way to teach meditation. You know, drumming historically, you know, the, 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 the Buddhists, like, you know, the fish drum and the shamans and like, you know, you go through all cultures since the third time they had the drum it's a centerpiece of, you know, their, their ceremonies and, and, and their cultures. But I found, you know, again, making sense of it through experience and reading about it is that it was easier to get someone to bang something, whether it was a fish drum or just, you know, bang a little mini djembe or just even like body percussion to, to get in the present moment and do that than just to sit still because people are uncomfortable sitting still. And they, they have a misunderstanding of what meditation is. They're like, I'm trying to stop my thoughts. I'm like, well, you're not going to stop your thoughts. <laughs> you're, you know, your mind is there for a reason, but we can, we can begin to work on quieting the thoughts to some degree or slowing them down and just like acknowledging them, but not emotionalizing them. But I found like the drum, even with the young kids, you know, get, getting some rhythm and getting back to the drum. There's like a, obviously a level of connection there with the hands and the, and the, the grounding nature of the drum, focusing the mind, concentrating the mind on something, but it becomes meditative. You do that for a minute or two or three or four and, you can get someone to sit longer when it's enjoyable, right? So I'm uh, always finding, trying to find creative ways, right? This is like me tapping into my creative. It's like, wow, it's like we need to find better ways to introduce mindfulness because, you know, the reality is a lot of people get turned off by meditation because they, they don't think they're doing anything, even though that is kind of the end result is to not be doing anything is to just be, just to be, just to be and to sit and to just quiet. Um, it's hard for people. So if there's a, a, a more enjoyable progression to that, that's what, kind of where, where I'm at now is finding more creative, fun, enjoyable ways to get people to sit and, and be, you know, and create and express all the same, right? So it's a, it's a lot for people to understand when they've never done any of this and then they just don't understand what we're actually trying to, 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 to get to. But I think you know, slowly but surely people are craving this, right? They, they know there's a better way than what they've been taught. and I think they're realizing that they they have to have to have some sort of ownership in in their well being. Otherwise, if you don't have any ownership and, and you're not responsible for your own well being, that means you're a victim. 
that means that something or someone else is responsible for healing you or helping you. And I'm obviously a huge supporter of people helping others, but I mean, we can only help someone so, so much, right? We could lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink it. Like they have to do the work. Obviously we can introduce them to an experience, but they need to, you know, engage and they need to do the work. But, you know, I, I think the, the sacred must be staked. And if you're, if you're ready for this, you will find it. And, and if you're not, unfortunately, you're going to keep going down that dark path that leads, unfortunately, to, to death and decay, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, and that's the world we're in. We're in, a, we're in an interesting time and place. You know, I think there's more and more people waking up to this. Fortunately, there's people unnecessarily dying off because of the ignorance to it, too. And I think that's probably always been the case, right? But I think it's becoming more magnified as we navigate um, these uncharted times. So, Yep. We like to call it in our community, human evolution, real time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we've got a, we've got a ringside seat for it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I would love to get your take on, you know, especially with, with so many men that I've witnessed is our, our, our society, you know, acculturates men that they wait until they're so leveraged and so taken down to their knees before they seek help, you know, across, mm-hmm. across the board. And so a lot of times when I, when I hear from men, it, it tends to be people are kind of desperate, you know, desperate situations. They've tried to self-medicate workaholism, you know, tried all these things to self-medicate. And oftentimes they have to almost lose everything before they, they come. And so a lot of veterans you know, a lot of injuries, a lot of physical imbalance. How can you envision, you know, moving forward as a society, shifting things so that we're not waiting until we're broken? And we're, we're instilling these things just as part of our everyday life. I would love to get your take on that. Yeah. Well, I was once one of those guys, so I know exactly what you're talking about, right? I mean, we grew up in a culture where you you tough it out, right? It's, uh, it's it's tough love. It's just like you know, tough it out and suck it up, right? I mean, how many times have I heard that? And you've heard that growing up. That's just the conditioning of not even just men. I think that's just like you know, mo- most of these households um, that we grew up in, right? But that being said, I think what needs to change is how we t- we teach emotional intelligence, right? I mean, it's like I don't know how long it's going to take for this to be like mainstream, but like we never talked about our emotions, right? Again, I talked about this earlier, like never have I heard guys talk about their feelings in the locker room, right? It was just like, it's all about toughness. It's all, you know, the ego, right? It's driving, it's just driving the narrative in there. And then you mentioned your veterans and you talk about blue collar workers. And it's just like, these guys grew up in a tough household, right? It's tough, tough, tough and tough it out. And, you know, sleep when you're dead and all these, you know, interesting advices that we get over, <laughs> over time, you know, and, and there, there couldn't be more, more inaccurate. But I think, you know, what I've learned, you know, in, in, in this journey is that being vulnerable is like the most important thing. Like as soon as you start opening up and sharing, you realize that like everyone else is going through their version of that. And then it, it prompts people to be vulnerable as well. I mean, how many times have I heard people thanking me for being vulnerable and sharing my story? It's like, well, I certainly didn't do this like for attention and for a pat on the back, but realizing more and more how powerful vulnerability is and, and opening up and talking about things that aren't, people aren't talking about. So 
I think being vulnerable, yeah, we have to be vulnerable. You know, it's like we, I couldn't expect to know to help somebody if they, if they, if they didn't ask for help, if they haven't shared anything, you know, it's like, so you have to ask, you have to like open up a little bit, crack open a little bit. But I think our job is like this part of this work is teaching emotional intelligence. I mean, you know, like, you know, integration circles and even pre-integration stuff. Like it's just like, we're sitting around and we're talking about the experience, but it's always about the feelings, like what came up, like what, what did it prompt forgiveness, acceptance, you know, letting go, like all the, all these things. So these, these experiences crack open the heart, obviously, and they almost, that allow you to be more vulnerable easier, right? I mean, people that normally wouldn't cry in a circle probably would be open and, and cry in a circle. And that's great. That's exactly what it's supposed to be, be doing. So I think like an extension of the psychedelic work and, I try and do some version of this through just like teaching mindfulness on its own is like emotional intelligence. It's like, like feeling is, is, is the most important thing we have. Like, you know, that is, should be our, 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 our compass. It's not our, our intellect, right? It's, it's not what we think. It's what we feel. And then all the sayings are like, follow your heart or follow, you know, gut feeling. It's like, well, we got to get back to that intuition. It's like, oh, we know, we, we know, well, that was because we, we did know. You know, it just, we, we talked ourselves out of it because the mind got in the way again, you know? So I think, you know, I, I try and do this through the, you know, the, the vehicle of yoga. I know yoga has kind of got a, a weird cloud around it because it's misunderstood, right? I mean, the whole practice of yoga is, is condensed into, you know, physical postures, you know, it's, it's like this. Uh, so when I, when I teach yoga, we're always trying to get out of the mind, right? It's like quiet the mind, open the heart, right? We're getting back into the heart. So it's just, I think it's just education. It's just keeping these conversations like this going. You know, we talk about healing. You can't help but address the emotional body and, and talk about emotional intelligence. But I think it's going to take some time. Um, the, the reality is that there, there is some level of this now being um, squeezed in these, these, these sports organizations to some degree, right? I mean... Guys are way more in tune with their bodies. There's mandatory days off based on how guys feel. Like HRV, just like collecting some data to see where people's heart rates are at. So we know like, okay, well, we need to respect the way these guys are feeling. So we need to take a day off today so we can recover. So there's there's a lot more mindfulness and emotional awareness. But I, th- I still think you can get way, 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 way better, you know, and, 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 <laughs> and this might seem like odd thing to talk about, but I... I don't know how to communicate this because I think it, 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 it's uh, it's it's somewhat of a challenging one. You talk about energy, you talk about performance and, and emotions. Um, you know, like sex energy, right? It's like, like to me, that was like that. That is the most most powerful energy that's that's used the most inappropriate way, right? And you teach you know, if you teach a young person about sex energy, like you know, right away it gets weird. But imagine you be able to teach that level of emotional intelligence to young yeah you know not just male i mean females i mean we, we we grew up in this crazy world where like you know like it's all everything is selling sex and we don't understand you know what we're supposed to be representing we don't understand the energy itself from what i understand personally and from reading about it like sex energy is creative energy it's creative force right in some way shape or form you can transmute and then think and grow rich napoleon hill he talked his whole chapter on sex transmutation so I'm saying all this because it does funnel into emotional intelligence. Like, what? Where is this energy coming from? What is this feeling? And and how can I constructively and positively direct this energy to create, build, perform? You know, versus just like throw it out to some you know random you know situation or you know time and place. Um, so 
I say all that because I think we have a lot of work to do, but the reality is, is that there is conversations like this being had. There's veteran groups that are talking about this. There's, you know, there's athletes that are speaking about emotional intelligence, but it's going to take some time because you got to program a deep seated old school program. But I mean, I'll tell you what, I, I've seen guys from the Broad Street Bullies era, you know, 74, 75 Stanley Cup guys, the Broad Street Bullies to like the current day players now that I had coached actually a couple of them. They're still playing for the Flyers. And the, 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 the spectrum of intelligence, emotional intelligence, consciousness you know, around their bodies, um, around recovery, right? Traditionally, it was just drink beer after games. And now there's minimal drinking, still drinking, but more cannabis-based products. Guys are microdosing before games. Like when you talk about like Broad Street Bullies, 74, 75 to, you know, 2023 current athletes, like it's like, it's, it's, it's like a time warp. So um, that being said, in, in a pretty small amount of time, you know, for the, the athlete to evolve like that, I think we can do the same, but get even more into the nitty gritty. I mean, of, of the emotional intelligence and the energy, understanding energy, understanding the mind, concentration, even better, right? I mean, so it's all about performance at the end of the day, you know, whether you're an athlete or not. So, yeah, so I, I, it's, uh, it's, it's needed. I mean, men's, men's groups, women's groups. I know there's a, lot, there's a lot of stiff, rigid women too. You know, they grew up in the same type of culture where it's just bottle it up, you know, just tough it up, get up to work and do it. And, you know, put a smile on and you're good, you know, so not healthy long term for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. right on. A lot of people in our community had a question around athletic performance, you know, and, and physical performance. And when I was reflecting on on that and listening to some of your talks, it reminded me of, I don't know if you saw the documentary In Search of Greatness. I haven't, no. It's brilliant. Real, check it out. And it's, it, it's about, you know, it's, it's featuring Gretzky, Tom mm-hmm. Brady, Jerry Rice, and backtracking to their earlier years, all of them would not have been, you would not have known that they would achieve the performance that they did. So it's not just based on their physicality. It's mm. based on a whole variety of factors. And creativity was mm. one of those as they did things in a completely novel way that had never yeah. been done before. And that's true for athletics. And that's true for any any part of life, I think, is that tapping mm-hmm. into that source creativity. And I was thinking you know, many, many years ago, I, was, I was, did body work. And I worked with a lot of NBA teams. And I would ask the players because they all had traveling trainers and body workers who traveled with the team, but I would still get called to work with them and say, well, why are you, why do you need me? You have a, you have a team trainer and they said, oh, well, he just works on our bodies. Mm, yeah. And we need the other, we need the other part. So yeah, yeah, I would love, love to hear your take. People who are curious about microdosing and working with earth medicines for specifically physicality and performance. Yeah, I mean, I, I I do my version of what you're doing uh, with with athletes and, and just high level performers. I mean, I work with some dental surgeons and you know just general like you know executives too. That everyone's you know some bit you know drained and and worn out, right? And you know there's a better way to to, to find some energy, creative energy. And uh, I, mean, I think the cat's out of the bag around microdosing, you know, for for performance. And it's I would say it's 
it's it's it's one of the the best tools you could find. Like you talk about like all the things I've seen throughout the years of like supplements and things that guys take that we really can't even quantify some of the stuff. It's just like supplement on supplement on this and that. It's like, what is this actually even working? You know, like obviously some of them are more recovery based to just, you know, get in electrolytes and some minerals, but like you talk about performance on front end loading of, of performance uh, and all the stuff we talked about, like the present moment, the flow state, the, the creativity, it's helping you get to that present moment. Right. And uh, I think this is what people are attracted to. You know, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of distractions in the world, in sports. There's, there's, there's so many the media, the fans, this, the pressure, this and that. What I'm finding from you know working with these guys and as well as my own experience with it is that it just it kind of just drowns out the noise, and they just like they just like this this some bit of quietness. Uh, again, getting out of the thinking mind, more creative, more maybe reactive is not the word, but um, just just more creative flow, less thinking. And then letting things go, like you make a mistake, you come to the bench, you pause, you reset, you can go back out. You're not dwelling on the last shift and getting in your own mind again, that whole thing. So I think it just helps people just get into that present moment. I also think there's a, you know, on a physical level, a level of anti-inflammatory um, you know, compounds going on there. Get these guys' bodies feel better too. I think there, there's an element of recovery too. Even if you're taking these on the front end, I think the mushrooms are highly intelligent, you know, and their adaptogens are finding imbalances and they're doing whatever they need to do to kind of bring that balance back. So I think there's an element of recovery associated with it, whether they're even uh, aware of that or not, some of these guys. But I, the biggest thing is just the presence. Guys just like the, 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 the zone, whatever you want to call it, the zone, the flow, that presence, and then just not being in their own heads. It's like, you know, how many guys have I seen and coach and play with like, they're their own worst enemy. We all are, right? We are our own worst enemy and that we always are um, until we can realize that we are and that's the awareness. But it's getting out of your head. You hear this all the time. This guy's a physical specimen, built like a Greek god, powerful, explosive, agile, can shoot. But he can't get out of his own way, you know, because he's in his own head. He's, you know, he's creating <laughs> all these stories and he's, and he's sabotaging his performance, right? And so I think um, I'm not going to sit here and say microdosing is going to solve all these problems. There's a lot of work to do. You know what I mean? Because what it's teaching you, reminding you of is stuff that we all talked about earlier. It's, we want to really um, increase that and improve that. You have to actually do it, not just, you know, rely on <laughs> microdosing. So that would be like, okay, well, now we got to meditate more. We can, we can actually get to these states other ways. Nothing but positive, positive feedback with this. So again, everyone's a little bit different, but it seems to be the presence, the mood. The getting out of the head and just the, the, the being able to just like move on, move on from the game, move on from the mistakes. Because hockey, sports, it's a game of mistakes, right? I mean, you're only as good as your last play, and you know you have to just be able to just just continue to forge ahead. So I think um, the feedback has been unbelievable. I think it's going to be continue continue to grow too as more and more athletes become comfortable, just like cannabis. You know, there's always cannabis users early. You know, back when I was playing, it was just traditional flour because it wasn't a whole an abundance of of products and precise precision precision dose products and you know combinations of THC, CBD, CBN, like all these things. I, I think you're going to see these these types of uh, microdose products kind of evolve into the same thing. You already are. I mean, you got blends of lion's mane, blends of cacao, ashwagandha. You know, different dosing. You know, some niacin sprinkled in there, or whatever. So it's going to be this world of, you know, supplementation through microdosing, combination of maybe some free, some post, um, you know, different dosing. I think the science is continuing to grow. 
but the cat's out of the bag. I mean, yeah, as far as performance go, I don't know if like, you know, guys drink coffee, they take all these stimulants. I mean, there's nothing, nothing that beneficial about jacking your nervous system up with stimulants, um, thinking that it's actually helping with performance. I used to do it. And I didn't want the puck. Like I'd be so nervous. And like, ah, I get rid of the puck. You know, imagine I could have gone back in time and you know tried microdosing and you know been a little calmer on the ice, a little more clear, a little more composed. But that's where these guys are at now. It's such a high level performers game now. The skill levels through the roof. Um, and these guys spend so much money and strength and conditioning and recovery that <clears throat> they want to be the best. They want. To, they need to take care of their bodies because their bodies and their and their minds are their their money makers. At least for now, and um, they're they're aware that they need to preserve it. Otherwise, someone's taking their job. So mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, it's only going to get bigger and better. I mean, to see cannabis in the locker rooms now, like like through the organization, like cannabis-based products, mainly CBD oils and, and topicals. I think you're going to see the same thing with you know at some point that this is going to be like you know passed down by strength and conditioning. This is going to be part of the sports science program. It needs to be if you want to do it right. Might be a few years away, but nonetheless, it's it's trending that way. Absolutely, one of my favorite parts of of the microdosing process is I work with a lot of high performance people. You know, people mm-hmm. who hold a lot of responsibility, and they'll start off, and one of their concerns on the intake call sometimes like, "Case, I can't, I can't be weird like ever, ever. <laughs> I need to be always on at, at a high level of performance." And very quickly, a few days, a few weeks into practice they realize not only are they not off, they're more on than mm-hmm. they have ever been. They're more articulate. Their reflexes are better. Yeah. Their reaction is better. Whether they're playing a sport or they're in a meeting, they're like, I can, I have my intuition back. Like I can yeah. see what's going to happen before it happens. Mm-hmm. I know what's going to be said before it. I can see problems from around the corner and prevent yep. that from. So That's all awesome. of these things. So it, and then we laugh about it later because they went from a few weeks before being nervous about it to, I want to make sure I have a big speech coming up and I want to make sure I microdose that morning. Yeah, <laughs> right? Right. So it happens really fast and it's just, yeah, as you said, it's just, it's spreading so quickly. So yeah, I appreciate it so much. I would love, love, love for you to share with everybody just kind of like a day in your, in your life. Like what is your day-to-day practice like at this point? So every morning it's the staple. It's the first thing is hydration, right? Um, just got to hydrate the cells, uh, mineralize the water. So throw a little lemon, some Celtic or Himalayan pink salt, or just just go on my way to to mindfully hydrate because we've been sleeping all night, and obviously we are a body of water. So move and meditate. So depending on the day, I, I might I might bang out my full practice of yoga. I pretty much that's all I do is for exercise now is is is, is yoga honestly. So it'll be either a full form or a half form depending on the day, and then I meditate after generally thirty minutes. So every morning, it's it's just like it's a staple. It needs to be done, and it's amazing how be- how much you, you how much better you feel. Obviously, start the day off, and then I would like to, if depending on time, squeeze in a little bit of reading and or you know five ten minutes of journaling. And maybe some drumming in there too. So then I'll work, you know, just go. You probably start with emails after that. Or it's usually the first thing is get back to the default reality of the, what we need to do to keep this, this thing moving along. And then depending on the day, obviously, it could have, I, I have a lot of meetings. I, um, you know, I advisor for a few different companies and, you know, just always bringing some pieces together. So 
emails, calls, stuff like that. And then somewhere throughout the day, I like to pause again, you know, and it's either sit in, in silent meditation or, and or, you know, just connect to the drum for 20, 30 minutes, usually around lunch if I can, just like a some bit of a break. And then uh, depending on the day itself, again, if I only did a half full yoga, I mean, I try and get a full squeeze in a full practice every day. So if I, did, if I didn't do that, I will do that at some point. If I did, then the, 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 the movement might be done for the day. Um, at some point later in the day before bed, I either drum and or journal to some degree. And uh, drumming is just like, it's my thing now. It's like I, I, I tell people and they'll share this, probably the first time I share this publicly. It's like there, there hasn't been anything in my life that I've connected to like I did hockey with the drum. It's just like there's, it's, it's putting me in the same state. But in a different world, it's hard to explain. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean you, would, you would understand it. I'm probably not doing a good job of communicating to your audience. But again, that meditative state, there's creative expression, there's creative flow, much like hockey. But just like the energy and the feeling I get when I pick up the drum and hold it, it's just like, I don't know, there's this power there. It's just like when I hold, grab the hockey stick, it was just like there was like some level of power when I was playing. Um, so, and I see this as like a big vehicle for me, is, you know, obviously integrating the, the drumming it, into the mindfulness, through the yoga, and all that stuff. Because if you want to get people to meditate and understand how to really do this, I just like I think that there's fun, more fun, enjoyable ways to get people to understand the process of. So I always kind of wrap up the day, you know, raising vibrations, the drum, and connection. And then um, I, I've been, you know, really trying to put stuff down to paper. Just if it's just ideas, enough to be like a formal journal session. But just like things, things that come up because when you're drumming and you're doing the stuff. It has a way of moving, you know, things out, but also creates space for new things to come in, right? And you said intuition, wherever that lands up being downloaded. So to do that. And then I'm really, I'm a foodie. So throughout the day, I'm always, you know, I generally fast, intermittent fast, about noon, depending on the day. And I'll break my fast with some fruit. But I love, yeah, I love cooking and food prep. So somewhere in there, I uh, making some baba ganoush or hummus or, you know, something along the lines. I, I'm cooking like probably two meals a day at least uh, or food prepping, whatever that looks like. Um, so that's, you know, part of the practice too, right? I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta feed the temple. You gotta, you gotta take care of the temple through nutrition. So I think that's kind of, you know, probably a, a, a normal day to some degree. It's, but it's just, you know, the, the, the morning is non-negotiable. I, it's like, you know, it's like I have to, and I get up really early too. So like I, I got to get up early and give yourself some space space to breathe and you know just they're not rushed you know most people are getting out of the bed five ten minutes late and they're behind the eight ball the whole day so we this is about managing stress and you know and, and creating more space throughout the day in our lives and our brains and our thinking and our in our way of life like it has to be obvious in the way we're setting up our day and being some bit organized with it i still got work to do on organization and you know you just some of the stuff I need, you know, because I got a lot of stuff, and sometimes <laughs> I think I can remember instead of writing it down in the moment. And um, but applying, you know, this organization around the structure of the day and, 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 and interfacing that with some other stuff. But it's a process. We're all working on ourselves and trying to get better. And um, but I think the morning routine is, is 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 so so powerfully profound when you talk about trying to change the course of action and change daily behaviors because you're setting yourself up for success like you just you're increasing the prana the life force the energy right from the start right we're connected we're grounded and we're calmer our minds are a little clearer we moved a little bit feel a little better again going back to feeling we're not stiff and tight and, and anxious 
know, I, I just think that whatever that looks like for your, the audience and for, for you at home, like find, just find your version of that. You know, it's not, it doesn't have to be what I do or you do finding the best, you know, version of yourself and starting with small, small uh, version of that. Right. I mean, I wouldn't expect anybody to come out of the gate meditating for 30 minutes, maybe two minutes, just sit still for two minutes, maybe move for five minutes, you know, maybe just getting up and hydrating is a win for you, you know, on that specific day. So just little wins, little wins and being good with them. You know, I, I think a lot of things, a lot of people too, and I was guilty for this, is being hard, so hard on yourself, right? I mean, this element of self-compassion, self-love that it's like, oh, I didn't do it this morning. And then you're, 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 you're shaming yourself, you know, it's like, ah, oh, you dumbass, you know, I didn't do this this morning. What's like, it has to be just a level of acceptance or you didn't do it long enough. Oh, I didn't move long enough. It's like, well, guess what? You did the best you could. You moved for five, 10 minutes, it's better than nothing. Self-talk is super important for how we feel, obviously. So just be be good with starting just move just do something you know and then build just keep building and doing more and you know being more creative with it trying something new but you got to buy yourself some time to do that if you're if you're waking up five minutes before you got to get out the door like good luck you know it's not going to be overly successful beautifully said and thank you for sharing about drumming i love that's such a beautiful example of what we've seen over and over and over again is, you know, sometimes people are just like, I can't meditate. I'm trying. I know that's what I'm supposed to do. Or I can't journal. Like I know I'm supposed to yeah. journal. But it's really just to find that thing, awaken to that thing that's going to tap you into. It's not really about the meditation. It's tapping you into that flow state, yeah, that oneness and that presence. So whatever mm -hmm. it is, if it's drumming, if it's whitewater rafting, if it's jumping out of an airplane, like it's going to be yeah. different for all of you. And a lot of people I've witnessed, sometimes the medicine's job is that it connects you to that thing in your life. Mm, you would have yeah, never, sure. you would have never found it otherwise, but it's like, it wakens this little thread and you follow the thread and it's like a connection to a country or geography or it's a, a thing. And then once you are there doing that thing, it's like, this is a remembering. Like I've done totally. this. I've done this before. Right. Yeah. Thank you. I've had that. I've had that for sure. That experience for sure. For sure. And I think it, like, you know, we talk about remembering, like, you know, it was a, a small phase of my early childhood when I think it was like, fourth or fifth grade like elementary like they had a drum kit in the music in the in the music room and i found myself getting there early and, and just like banging it a little bit like i i had felt like i was connected to the drum before but then i went you know years and years and years without picking up a drum and and the drumming i do is not like full-on like drum kit it's like djembe drumming like african west african drumming hand drumming you're just a little more accessible easier to you know to manage you don't have to have a ten thousand dollar drum kit to to practice but I, but it, what we were saying resonated with me because it was like, yeah, we were remembering, like I had this connection with this before, maybe in another lifetime, who knows, but it felt right. And it just reminded me like, this is, this is it. Like you, this is another one of your vehicles. And, and I've, I've had other uh, downloads in my ceremonies too, around just like, I don't know if it just helps bring alignment, you know, it just helps you find alignment or the things that you're passionate about or the things that you're good at that you've suppressed. I think it's again, bubbling up that. The, the creative faculties, whatever that is for you in, in that moment, right? I mean, maybe you're a good drawer and you just, you just haven't been been practicing that. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, you know what? I got to, I got to draw again. Or I got to write again. I got to get back to my writing. I got to get back to my so-and-so. Or I got to go and, you know, you hear this a lot. It's like, oh, I got to call this person. 
you know, it's like remembering you got, you, you know, these things that you, you have responsibility to do to keep these relationships, the relationship to self and, and others going. So um, I like that because it's, it's true. It, it almost happens every time there's some sort of remember, remembering reminder and a little tool, a little, you know, a little, little tidbit of, of essence that to, to kind of grab a hold of and, and, and integrate into your life. Powerful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you so much for, for being with us today. I love to wrap up asking guests, you know, suspending all reality <laughs> in your dream of dreams. How can you envision microdosing and earth medicine practice, ceremonial practice integrating into modern society in your dream of Ooh, dreams? My dream of dreams. Wow. Oh man, I mean, you know, I think about this quite often, you know, and I've always been like stuck on this, like, wow, why can't humans figure this out? And why can't we all find peace and love? Why can't we all, you know, be united and grow together and and, and be stewards of this world, of this earth, and and do what's right, you know? And and I haven't really come up with a great answer to, you know, besides like there's there's light and there's darkness, there's yin and there's yang, and there's always been evil and there's always been good right and i'm not sure that we can separate the two so in a perfect world i would say yes we can get to a level of consciousness but we can all live together we can all help each other you know it's this beautiful world of growing food together and doing everything together and you know and everyone is is doing their part individually and as a collective it's you know it's for the better good obviously that's not what's happening in this world right i mean it's a bunch of you know, greedy people on their own individual agendas, not worrying about the collective, not even just people, but the animals, the earth, the trees, the environment itself. We're just like disconnected from reality, I guess, if you will. So in a perfect world, we can introduce these things to, to the population. There's no resistance. And we heal as a, as a, as a, as a species that we can maybe make sense and, and shed all the, these past life traumas and get to a place of actual evolution as a species. Cause I don't think we're there yet, obviously, but I know that's not realistic, right? There's always going to be the darkness. Darkness is always going to be there because it's always been there to separate us from spirit, from source. Right. And because I think part of our, our existence here on this planet is to help the soul evolve, right? And I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that it can, you know, these souls can evolve if everything was so perfect and everything, everyone was all enlightened. So uh, I think, you know, as I you know learn more and, you know, think I know more, which I don't know anything, it's, I just realized that, like, that this work, this type of work is really can only be done by a certain group of people, like a, a certain amount of population. It can't be for the whole world. It did. I, I would like it for, I would like it to be, but I don't think the system will allow that to happen. Right. And there's, there, there needs to be people that are living in ignorance and, and, and suffering. And, and then there, there needs to be people to be waking out of that and evolving the soul and finding themselves and minimizing suffering and pain and maybe finding these higher vibrations and kind of applying the spiritual text to evolve the soul. So I don't know if I've given you a great answer. In a perfect world, I would love everyone to heal. I would love all generational trauma. I would love all family systems, ancestral trauma to be healed and everyone to find 
joy and happiness in the moment in this lifetime. That would be the ideal, a perfect of perfect. But I think the second part of that, that the more realistic version is just to continue to forge this work ahead and have more people maybe have the light shine brighter. So maybe we can shine out some of the darkness. There's always going to be the darkness there. Maybe wake up some of some of some people that are really dark. Maybe maybe make them a little lighter. You know, maybe you can maybe you can soften the darkness a little bit. You know, that'd be it. <laughs> Because the darkness, as you start peeling back this, you know, this onion, it's pretty dark, you know, mm-hmm. it's pretty dark. And I think as you do more spiritual work, you're more aware of the darkness, right? I mean, it's kind of like you can't have one without the other. It's like you can't be all like, oh, yeah, I'm doing all this work. And, you know, I'm just like completely blind to what's going on over here. It's like, oh, wow, this is why this work exists is because we <laughs> we need to bring more light to the darkness. So. I'm um, not a great answer, but I think it's just, you know, continue to do the work and, and just raising more consciousness in our communities in different ways. Yeah, through psychedelics, obviously amazing catalyst. But I'm realizing through other things, again, like primal things like the drum and, you know, these ancient teachings like meditation, if we can just get people to be better, however that looks, raise, you know, consciousness, I think the world would be better and drown out some of the some of the darkness, maybe push some of this darkness out push it all out I'm a, it might be a pipe dream but that would be mm. you know like a dream of all dreams yeah a beautiful I think it's a phenomenal answer you reminded me of you know I think in your answer I think people underestimate the power of their own healing yeah it, once sure. you heal you realize you're not just healing for you you're healing forward and backward in all yeah. directions you know you're healing your lineage that has been going on for cent- your healing everyone in your lineage that is to come, you know, all the ripples of who you're going to. And just by the token of you healing and you expressing yourself, it's so, so powerful. And it just reminded me, I was reading an occasion with uh, Michael Mead, who's a mythologist and spiritual teacher. And he had a, a close colleague that he had taught with often and he was with his colleague and he knew his colleague had a beautiful, beautiful singing voice. And Michael Meade was a drummer too. He also Mm. expressed himself through drumming. And he said they were, they gave a talk. And at the end of the talk, someone in the audience asked for his colleague to, to sing, you know, would he sing to them? And he said, he, he said, we'll, we'll do it together. And in that moment, they sang and drum together. And that's what I feel like the individual healing that we're doing. That's the effect it has is it gives people permission. We learn by osmosis almost, Mm. and it passes from person to person. So I do think people, people often ask me like, well, what am I going to do? You know, I feel so overwhelmed by the state of the world right now. We're so far, (laughs) we're so far today from where we can be as humans. Um, yeah. How do how do we get there? And I think that's it's once you recognize the power you have as an individual, and the ripple effect that that can have just simply by standing up and drumming with someone, is is really beautiful. Totally, yeah. Well said. And I feel I feel the exact same way. We all just need to be our individual ripples, and that ripple ripples into someone else in our community, and then that ripple, like you said, it's, it gives people permission. It's like, oh wow, like you know, whether they they see it through you. They see you doing it. It's just it's empowering, and you know, one little win for them ripples out 
their ripple and maybe a larger ripple a wave who knows and then maybe they get 10 people on their wave and that's all you can do it's like you know all the spiritual teachers talk about you be the change right i mean you you can't expect the world to collectively change if you're not going to do it and you can't expect your network to change if you're not doing it and you can't expect your family tree to keep you know or to, to, to change and some of these traumas to dissipate if you're not doing the work is you're just going to pass down your traumas and your, your issues to your children and it's going to continue. So it is, it's every which way. And I agree fully. It's, um, it's our responsibility to, you know, to be leaders and whatever that looks like. And, um, we just worry about us and the rest takes care of itself. Right. I mean, that's what I've learned in my experience. You can't worry about the rest of it. You can't do much about it. All you can do is do your work and do your job and, carry around and 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 emit love and you know compassion for the world and people and people see it feel it maybe maybe not but but just be a ripple it's all you can do i mean you can't control what's going on outside of myself really you know mm-hmm. um, so yeah well said for sure beautiful so to wrap up how can people find you can you share a little bit about how you work with people are you doing group work are you doing um, studio work, one-on-one work. Yeah. Share, share how folks can find you. Yeah, sure. I, I kind of do a, a little bit of all of that, um, group work, teamwork, individual work. Um, so I have a website, RileyCote.com. I'm also on Instagram, RileyCote32. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram are probably the two best social media platforms. And you can just email me at Riley at RileyCote.com. And, uh, depending on the type of work, you know, obviously we can discuss that, but uh, yeah, kind of do it, do it all. I, I'm getting into more group work and teamwork. I'm realizing again through the drum, the drum seems to be a pretty interesting vehicle. So it's people can connect with it. You know, you can get more people engaged, talk about teaching something, having people engaged in it. It's, it's not so mundane. It's not so boring where you can flake out so easily. So uh, I think I'm going to do, be do, interfacing the, the rhythmic mindfulness the rhythmic drumming into a more of this group type of work talk about connection team building all that would love to continue to continue to show show that work which i will be doing here in the new year so reach out many questions i appreciate that amazing and the oh yeah no we're so grateful and where can people watch the espn documentary it's still on espn espn plus so it still lives on that platform. I've seen it on a couple others. I know they showed it up in TSN up in Canada, maybe Hulu. I also have a link too. If people are interested, I can share it to them. If they don't have, uh, if they don't have ESPN or ESPN Plus, I could certainly share a link. Uh, yeah, with no I- commercials. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know it's on ESPN Plus because that's where I was able to view it. So yeah, okay. I, I encourage everybody to check it out. It's it's so inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Oh, well, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. And thank you all for listening in. And we'll include yeah, how you can find Riley in all the ways in our show notes. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Microdosing for Healing podcast. Are you ready to take the next step? Please visit us at microdosingforhealing.com to access our free Microdosing 101 workshop. In it, you'll learn more about our diverse community, our supportive group programs, and discover if earth medicine practice might be right for you. See you in the next episode.